Hi, I'm Sheila. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I think Sheila. my phone's unmuted hey, now. Hi. I'm grateful to be here and to be sober. Um, wanted to first thank Kelly for asking me Hi, to Kelly. lead. Um, and this is a really weird um, situation. So I'm going to ask my husband, who's sitting in the background, if you could turn your iPad off. Okay, because it's like reverberating here. Um, it's really weird to be doing this virtual, um, but I know that I'll get through it. And I wanted to thank my amazing daughter, Lauren, for being my 10-minute speaker this um, this meeting. And uh, happy birthday, Lauren. I love you. And um, hopefully next year we'll get to celebrate your birthday properly. Um, so it was a very... Uh, very different way to celebrate this year. But um, I also wanted to welcome the newcomers. I don't think we had any newcomers that identified. Um, I wanted to welcome Matthew, our visitor. And uh, Matthew, I don't know Matthew, but we have a friend in common um, and a very special friend. And so I'm glad that you came to our open meeting and hopefully this will be a good uh, representation for you of Alcoholics Anonymous and give you a little idea about the 12-step um, program and recovery and how it transforms people's lives, like, like myself and Lauren that you've heard so far. Um, I wanted to congratulate the CHIP people as well, and also I know that I have a few sponsees in the meeting. Um, Jen and Camila and Danielle, I love you. You're amazing. And my beautiful um, sponsor, Becky, and my sober sisters, my best friend, Mary, and uh, Kim and AJ and Aloha. And I also know we have visitors from Washington and Kauai. So I'm so glad that you're here. Um, so I'm not a big talker. And so it's going to be amazing if I can get through 40-something minutes, but we'll see how I do. Um, and I haven't had an opportunity in a long time to really share my story. Um, for years, I, I'll talk about it. I did H&I, and I can, do, I can recap my story in 10 to 15 minutes like, like nothing. But um, to really share at length will be interesting. Um, so I'm from, um, I'm from the area here. I grew up in... Um, Los Alamitos in North Orange County. I'm the youngest of three girls. Um, I was uh, born, I, I'm the, I think the last year of the baby boomers. So I grew up at the tail end of the Vietnam War, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit because that has something to do with my history for sure. Um, so I'm the youngest of three girls. I'm third generation, 100% Russian Jew, and I'm the only alcoholic drug addict in my family other than Lauren who I I, I had a, um, a partner that helped produce her so the only alcoholic in my family that I'm aware of um, and when I grew up my, my family is very nice very hard working my parents worked really really hard and um, I have these two older sisters and from as far back as I can remember I I knew that I um, my mom would say, you look just like us, but I think you were hatched. Like, where did you come from? And so as far back as I can remember, I always felt very different than my family. I never really felt like I fit in. Um, 
I, you know, which is just, I, I can't really explain it, but I just never really felt a part of my family. I didn't feel part of their tribe. And um, they loved me and they did the best that they could do with me, but I always worried. And um, they would say things like, uh, Sheila's doing her hobby again, she's crying. And um, like I said, when I grew up, um, it was the tail end of the Vietnam War. And I remember my father, we'd be watching TV and he would be changing the channel back and forth from uh, the news where we would be watching what was happening in Vietnam to Star Trek. And I really wanted to watch Star Trek. I really didn't want to watch the war and what was happening. And I remember when I was in kindergarten, um, I um, took on selling POW bracelets and I worried a lot about um, the men that I would hear about that uh, disappeared from their families and they couldn't find them. And um, and I just worried. I worried and I worried and I worried. And way back in that day, there was a cartoon. Uh, I think it was called Chicken Little. And I really identified with that because I always felt like um, the sky was falling. And that's kind of what the cartoon is about. The chicken would go, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And that's how I felt. I always felt this impending doom. And... Um, I had this one grandpa that whenever I didn't feel well, um, and I went to his home and tell, told him I didn't feel well, he would give me a little shot of whiskey. And I remember I liked it. I thought it was maybe cold medicine or something. So I liked, I liked being sick and going to my grandpa Jack's house. And um, I never really put any of that together. And the first time that I, I drank to drink, uh, I was 11 years old. Um, I was at my, my parents uh, have a ranch in Central California, and I was at the ranch with my dad's friend, and we started doing shots of tequila. And I remember a few shots into the tequila, um, we had a cat named Tora, a Siamese cat named Tora. And I remember looking up at Tora, and he had roosters in his ears. And the roosters were going cock-a-doodle-doo. And um, I looked around the room, and no one really seemed to notice the roosters but me. I thought it was weird, um, but I didn't realize until very, until way later looking back that I was hallucinating. And um, all I know is I got up the next morning. I felt great. I thought that was super cool. And, um, and I liked it. And, it. and it was probably the first time in a long time that I wasn't worried. And so um, that began my, um, my drinking history. And so at 11, I have an older sister that's about five and a half years older than me. And um, this is back in the day of um, Charlie's Angels. So we were really into Charlie's Angels, and my sister had a Trans Am, a white Trans Am with the T-top and the eagle on it, and um, we looked like twins at the time, and I'd hang out with her, and I started partying at a really young age. Um, but I also took things very serious. I, I worked at a young age, I helped my parents, I worked really hard in school, and um, but I would party, and so from a young age, like Lauren had talked about, um, I started to live a dual life. And um, when I was uh, fourteen and fifteen, I went to Chico. My my older sister was going lived at um, 
up in Chico and was going to Chico State. And I lived with her for a couple summers. And my job was to, um, she had this boyfriend that had like a pot farm. Now this is back in, you know, like the seventies or whatever. So it's nothing like the pot today. Like this is like dirt weed, like pot. And my job was to clean um, the stems and seeds and I get these big green trash bags and I clean the stems and the seeds and I could take as much pot as I want. And then I'd fly home to my parents in Laguna Hills and they'd pick me up and it would be in the summer and I'd be dressed like a Charlie's angel and like tight jeans and like these boots. And I'd have, um, you know, back then it was like hydroponic cess and this, you know, pot like tucked into my pants they weren't they didn't have dogs back then at the airports and um so then i started my um practice of traveling and um hiding uh different substances on me and i started that at 14 and 15 and um so i worked hard and i um like to drink and i like to use and i um that kind of really helped like stabilize my worry for a while. And um, I graduated Laguna Hills High School in 1982. I was the second graduating class. I um, was 13th in my class. I graduated 13th in my class at Laguna Hills High. And I got into UCI and I was studying pre-med and I was working and I was going to school, but my alcohol and drug use had continued to, um, had continued to, I don't know, whatever. I continued to graduate to different, you know, drugs. And so by that, by that time, by my junior year, um, so 1985, I was a junior at UCI and I was studying pre-med and I was um, specifically studying um, biochemistry and I was smoking coke and I had this boyfriend and so this in 1985 when I was 21 is when I started um, having bottoms and I didn't realize that I was having uh, bottoms so um, one of the things that happened to me in 1985 which was a really tough year for me um, my one of my grandmas passed away and I had this boyfriend and I was studying in school. I wasn't doing very well. And, um, and uh, I had a big exam the next day and this, this guy that I was with, so he lived in Laguna Niguel, up Niguel Road, up the street from our Monday night 12 and 12 meeting. And he was living with his parents and I was staying with him in this, in this like shitty house bedroom. And we had posters all over the walls, and he had he had uh, broken holes in the walls and was hiding, you know, cocaine and stuff in the walls. And um, I was trying to study for this exam, and uh, I told him I couldn't continue doing what we were doing. I needed to get some rest, and I tried to go to sleep, and I heard this big crash. And um, I went into the bathroom, and he had been in there uh, doing more of what we had been doing. And he was um, having seizures, and he crashed into the um, shower enclosure, which at the time wasn't tempered back then. And I guess at this time it was 85. 
And so there was blood and he was like seizuring and all this stuff. And I called 911 and they flushed all of our drugs down the toilet and the police and the firefighter came, firefighters came and they were very nice to me. And I uh, told him exactly the truth of what we were doing. And I got in the ambulance with him and we headed down to, um, at the time it was South Coast Medical Center ER. And when we get down into the ER, they pull him into the ER to work on him. And I remember going into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and I was 21 years old and I'd been talking to the police and firefighters that were very nice to me. And I had Coke caked all over my nose. I was green. I hadn't seen the light of day in a long time. I um, was probably about 90 something pounds. And I just remember looking in the mirror and just saying, this is not what I wanted for myself. This is not what I expected for my life at 21. I really wanted a lot. I really wanted, I had higher hopes for myself. And so I did that prayer. Um, God, get me out of this mess, and I swear I won't do this again. And um, so, anyways, I get out of the hospital. I go home. Um, I go back to school. The the boyfriend, he was kind of fucked up for a while, but he wound up being fine, other than he was an asshole. And then um, I just went on, went on my way. But within a week... I picked up where I had left off. And so for the next 11 years from 1985 until 1996, I continued to have these bottoms, which I didn't know they were bottoms until I got sober. Um, so years into it, I knew that I was um, a drug addict, but I didn't think I was an alcoholic. And I thought if you had my life, or my husband, or my children, or my job, or my parents, or my this, or my that, you'd have to drink, and you'd have to use the way that I had to drink and use, and if you would have asked me at 30 where I was going to be at 40, I knew I wasn't, I knew I was going to be dead, I knew I wasn't going to be able to make it, um, I had been in a bad car accident before the boyfriend overdosed in 1985, um, and I had to have a couple jaw surgeries after that, and, um, I remember when my children were about two and three years old, um, I was, you know, probably like 90 pounds at that time. My mouth was wired shut from the jaw surgeries. And every time I tried to drink like a, a Bloody Mary or something, my mouth was wired so tight, the pepper would like block the holes in my teeth. Um, I was completely on a, a liquid diet and cocaine. And then um, there were uh, definite plenty of times where my prayer changed from, God, get me out of this mess. I swear I won't do it again. To God, let me live through tonight. And I swear I won't do it again. And I would do it again. And I would do it again. And um, I remember, you know, my, I remember specifically one of those times um, my kids were like two and three years old. And I was very scared that I wasn't going to make it. Um, but I just could not stop. I had a really good job. Um, I worked at, I've worked in medical my whole life. Um, you know, and like I said, I always had this dual life. Like no one would have known what I was doing when I got home. And I remember um, also hating the sound of the newspaper. 
because I would remember thinking, um, I just need to get some sleep before the kids wake up and I got to get them to school and I got to go to work. And I definitely was kind of on this hamster wheel. And so what happened through a series of events, um, my husband, the father of, well, the, the man that I had two children with, um, the best thing that we did together, other than making those two kids, those two beautiful kids, was we drank and we used. And um, I love science. I'm a huge fan of science. And I love Star Trek, specifically Rathacon and um, Star Trek, the original Star Trek, the second movie. And I remember Ricardo Montalban, one of my favorite lines before I got sober was, revenge is a dish best served cold. And my husband at the time was doing things I didn't agree with, and um, I decided that I was going to get revenge on him. And so I filed for divorce, but we're still living in the same house. And I told him I was going to get even with him for things that he had been doing and that I was going to sleep with our best friend, the drug dealer. And I did that, and I continued to do that, and I didn't keep it a secret from anybody. And um, I didn't keep it a secret from my friends, from my husband or ex-husband, from my family. And, um, you know, that's something that, that was definitely something always against my moral code, but I think in retrospect, it's something that really helped bring me to my bottom. Um, so I had gone to an attorney, I tried to file for a divorce, but I told her the truth of everything that me and, and my husband at the time were doing. And she said the only way that I could retain her services is if I went and saw, and she gave me this card of an addictionist, of a, of a doctor. And I took her, I took the card and I thought, you know, whatever, um, I'm not going to do that. But I took the card with me and I remember going home from this attorney and I decided to flush all my drugs down the toilet. And I proceeded to drink like a beer a day for a few days. And um, I had been drinking and using for 19 years. And the only time that I had stopped drinking or using for a period of time, which wasn't difficult for me, was both times that I was pregnant. And so um, but at the time when I flushed all those drugs down the toilet and I was drinking a beer a day, my kids were seven and eight years old. And so for years, I had substances in me constantly. And so about three days into it, it was a Wednesday. Um, I remember I got up just like every other day to try and get my kids ready to go to school. And I didn't feel well. I was in a lot of physical pain. And I called downstairs to my ex-husband. Um, he was on the couch. And I said, I need you to help me with the kids today. And um, he proceeded to tell me where I could shove it. And he wasn't about to help me. And so I remember calling my parents. Um, and I asked them to come over and help me with the kids. And I proceeded to tell my parents the truth. I proceeded to tell them what I had been doing all these years. And um, they weren't happy with me. They were disgusted and disappointed. And um, they helped me get my kids to school. And I was very sick. I was detoxing and had never detoxed before. And um, I gave them the card of that doctor, of the addictionist, and they wanted me to go to the hospital, which I was not about to do. 
but I did agree to see this addictionist. So they drove me up to see him. So then I told him the truth. And then I wound up going, this is all in like a day. And then I wound up going to this outpatient rehab called the RAP Center, um, which is at 666. Um, I can't remember the street right now, but um, in Costa Mesa. And um, so the next thing I knew, I had told the truth to the attorney, to my parents, to this addictionist, and I was in this outpatient rehab. And I had agreed to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I remember about three days after that, suddenly I felt better and I thought I'd really overreacted and I couldn't take it back. And I am the kind of person that, um, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. But from the very beginning, I had a plan that on my 90 days, I was going to drink again. Um, so in this outpatient rehab, they had me get a sponsor. Um, they told me how to get a sponsor. So it was actually this meeting, the Laguna Niguel, it used to be called the Crown Valley Speaker Meeting. And I remember going to the Crown Valley Speaker Meeting with my um, supportive um, uh, drug dealer. And um, they had like a number, like a 1-800 sponsor. And, and by the way, if anyone, if there's any women that are new that need a sponsor, um, my three sponsees or my daughter could sponsor you. So <laughs> Danielle, Jen, Camila, Warren, and I, I'd be happy to sponsor somebody as well. Um, but anyway, so they have this 1-800 sponsor, and I got this number, and they gave me the name of three women, and I called all three women, and only one of them called me back. And I met this uh, one woman. Her name is uh, Cindy. And um, she started to sponsor me. And she was going through this tragedy. Her daughter had ran away. And she agreed to sponsor me. Um, she got me a book. And she got me started in the steps. And I thought, well, this is going to be really easy because she's clearly very preoccupied. And I just need to get through these 90 days and get, get out of here. And... Um, but the weird thing that happened is around my 30 days, I realized I had, I was going, I did 90 meetings in 90 days. I had a sponsor. She had me start working the steps. And when I got to my 30 days, I realized I hadn't picked up a drink or a drug in 30 days. And I really think that was one of my first um, spiritual awakenings because I couldn't, I couldn't ever do that on my own. Um, and I never really tried cause I always started to get sick and then I would just give up. And so, um, I continued doing this thing. And when I got to my 89th day, the rap center was doing a coin out ceremony for everyone that had 90 days that was going to move on and move out of the program. And I remember I got very, um, scared and um, everything suddenly seemed very real. And at 90 days, I was 31 years old. My children were um, seven and eight years old. I was going through a divorce. I was $90,000 in debt. I was extremely physically ill. I had no short-term memory. I didn't know if I was ever going to come back. I was breaking out um, like horribly but with all the stuff coming out of my uh, pores and my nose wouldn't stop bleeding from like just chronic sinus infections and um 
the crazy thing was at 90 days, I didn't want my old life back. My life at 90 days sucked. And, um, but all I knew is I didn't want to go back. I had a plan that my plan was going to go back and I got very scared. And so, um, I continued to do um, what I still do today. I continued to work with my sponsor and um, I finished working the steps and going to meetings. And my, I had mentioned my best friend, Mary, my partner in crime. Um, she was dragging me to all kinds of meetings and I was meeting all kinds of people and um, getting involved in the program. And she introduced me to a friend in common. Um, his name is Steve. And he got me involved in H&I, hospitals and institutions. And so before I was a year sober, I started participating in H&I. And um, I was a member of H&I for over 20 years. Um, and I don't think I mentioned my sobriety date is February the 26, 1996. So about three weeks ago, I took 24 years sober, and um, that's my only sobriety date, and I plan to hold on to that for the, for the life of me. I don't plan to give that thing up. And um, so H&I was a really big part of my recovery. And I remember um, at 15 months sober, I felt horrible. I still felt terrible. I had worked the steps. Uh, I was trying to sponsor other women. I was going to all kinds of meetings. I was working with my sponsor. And I, and I clearly remember a day where um, I felt like I'd have a soul sickness and that I would just never get better. And it was right around that timing. Uh, my friend Mary uh, every year on Memorial Day, we have a Memorial Day picnic. A lot of times it's cold and rainy, and it was right around that time. My kids were at their dad's or somewhere, and my friend Mary showed up at the door, knocking on the door, and I opened up the door, and I said, you know, what do you want? And um, she said, today's the day, and a lot of times, still today, sometimes I feel like she talks in tongue, and I don't really understand, but I go with it. And she said, today's the day. And I said, today's the day for what? And she said, today's the day that you're going to clean out that gun safe and I'm going to watch you. And so at one point I told her that um, when I had got sober, my father came over and he helped clean out like all the paraphernalia and stuff in my medicine cabinet and got rid of all the alcohol. But in my closet, I had this huge gun safe that me and my ex-husband had... Um, we stored all of our drugs in there. And from the moment I got sober, I never opened it because I was scared because I knew what was in there. And so Mary proceeded, I think she gave me gloves. And every time my, my hand got towards my nose or my face, she'd you know, yell at me. And um, anyway, she proceeded to babysit me while I cleaned out that gun safe and got rid of all the rest of the drugs and paraphernalia and stuff in my house. And um, that's, I think, around the time I met my, my sponsor now, my sponsor, Becky. I love you, Becky, and I um, am extremely grateful for you. I met Becky when I was new, and we were friends. But I think that's around the time that Becky and I actually started doing panels together in H&I. And I had a James Music. I had a, um, I had a bunch of panels at 
um, Capital by the Sea and the Adolescent Psych and the Youth Shelter. And uh, Becky and I were going to the women's jail and meeting up. And um, back then we still smoked and we'd go meet at Starbucks and smoke and then go do the women's panel. And I did that women's jail panel for five years. And I really think that was instrumental in um, helping me in my recovery because I felt like I was broken. And I, every time I'd go to that jail panel, um, I'd get to go in, I'd get to share my story, I'd get to hear the women's story in there, hopefully share some experience, strength, and hope with them, and then I would get to leave. And, you know, H&I was a really, and is a really important part of my um, history of recovery. And I'm extremely grateful, and I would encourage anybody, if you want to be a service, um, to get involved in H&I. And um, so, like I said, I've been sober for 24 years. Um, I'm on my fourth marriage. So I'm married. I married my third husband a second time. So we're on our, our second marriage, the same man. And, um, and he's been sober for 18 years and we have a really good sober life. Um, so I had mentioned earlier that I grew up in this Jewish family and they were very kind, nice. They, my parents only wanted the best for me, but, um, for whatever reason I, I couldn't fit in. Um, I was always searching for something and I remember when I was in my disease, when I was going to UCI, I'm smoking coke, but then I'm taking this class from um, from a rabbi. So, you know, I'm studying religion, you know, from a scientific kind of view, but I could just never get it, could never get the connection. And um, as a result of getting sober and working with the sponsor and working the steps and and having my amazing tribe of women. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned, I think I did, but Kim and uh, Aloha and AJ and, and my daughter and Mary and all these people, watching them, their lives transform and change and grow, it's helped me with my belief in a higher power. And um, I've been divorced, I guess, three times in sobriety. And um, at one point, when I was a couple years sober, I 13-stepped a man. So for, for our visitor, Matthew, that doesn't know what 13-step is, there's 12 steps in our program. The 13-step is when you take advantage of a newcomer. And I rationalized that I wasn't taking advantage of anyone, but I met this man. He was very wealthy, and I had a lot of unpaid child support, and uh, um, I thought it would... I thought we could work things out and things could work together. And I hooked up with this guy who was brand new in the program. I had a couple of years sober and, um, we got married and I, and we made it less than 90 days married. And, um, that was a painful lesson for me. I think, um, I think he and I were together though for a couple of years when everything transformed. And I think I was right around my fifth year sober when we split up. And it was a very difficult year for me. I didn't drink. Um, he states he's still sober today. We've actually seen each other a couple times. We're friendly to each other. And, um, you know, um, 
around my sixth year of sobriety, my friend Becky, who's my sponsor now, uh, got to experience with me, and so did Mary and, and Lauren, my daughter. Um, so I raised my two daughters as a single mom from when I got sober on. And um, my oldest daughter started running away, and she got hooked up with some really bad people and drugs and alcohol. And when she was a couple weeks into her 16th year, um, she just started being a junior at Tesoro High School, she ran away for good. And she was gone and on the streets for 18 months, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. And I would go to meetings, and I would cry, and I was in total fear. And then I had Lauren, my other daughter, my younger daughter at home, who um, she's dealing with her best friend, her sister being gone, you know, her mom who's like losing her mind. And so um, I'm sure that's probably around the time that Lauren got involved in the substances that she was dealing with. Um, anyways, things were difficult. Uh, raising two teenage girls as a single mom, and, um, you know, I'm, I was learning right alongside with them. And so uh, not the best example of parenting. Um, like I said, they were seven and eight when I got sober, and they really remembered what it was like with their mom and their dad being addicts and alcoholics so um i had a lot of wreckage you know that i had created as a result of, of my history um so anyways my oldest daughter that had ran away my youngest daughter was home and she started getting very sick and like she had shared eventually um they thought she had something called cyclic neutropenia which is a form of leukemia, and she was on this heavy-duty medication for that. And um, the other thing that she didn't share is that she was also suicidal. And um, so around that time, I don't know, maybe I was eight or nine years sober by then, and um, a little bit before that happened, I started sponsoring this young 23-year-old Jen who had... Um, I'm not going to share what she had done, but she couldn't drive. So she was, I was taking her to meetings and her parents lived by me. So she was kind of a prisoner at my house. Um, we'd go to meetings and she'd hang out at my house. And um, I wouldn't really share a whole lot with her about my daughter, Lauren, because her and Lauren started to be friends. And I didn't want to disclose anything about Lauren to her. But she would hear me talk to my sponsor, Nancy, at the time. Um, anyway, so, Jen, I love you, and I'm so grateful for you. Um, so Jen and I became friends. We traveled together. We did stuff together. And, and Jen and my daughter, Lauren, became very close friends. And um, when Lauren, I think, was really at her bottom was around the time that Jen was around and uh, Rick and I were married at the time and Lauren started she would be drinking at night and uh, but then she would drive Jen to meetings and um and then Lauren started going to meetings and, and Rick one time asked me is Lauren sober like what's going on and I said don't you dare ask don't say a word we're just going to pretend we don't notice anything happening here <laughs> which is what we did we just ignored everything and um 
you know, I love that line. I can't remember the actor right now who's sober a very long time, the Mexican actor who's awesome. Danny Trejo, thank you. And Danny Trejo would share that um, everything good that's happened in his life has been a direct result of helping others. And to me, that's so powerful because I would have never known that I really felt like Jen saved Lauren's life, that she was her Eskimo, and that there's been so many other people that have stepped in um, to my daughter's lives that have helped them unconditionally that has nothing to do with me. And um, when my daughter Sarah was on the streets, what I really focused on um, trying to do so I wouldn't lose my mind was trying to unconditionally help other people and hoping that there was a karmic energy out there that if and when she wanted or needed any help, that someone would unconditionally help her. And um, I really believe in that energy. And to this day, um, I love the phrase um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, trust God, clean house, and help others. Uh, it's really been kind of my mantra. And um, so I had shared, um, I'm just watching the time, I would shared that as I grew up, I didn't have a connection with the higher power. I really believed in science. And I thought anybody who was religious was weak. Anybody who had a belief in a higher power or God, I thought they were weak. Because if you couldn't do it yourself, then you were weak. And that I didn't recognize, you know, that my life was a mess when I got sober. And over time, because of Alcoholics Anonymous and working the steps and helping others and seeing other people's lives transform, that I've developed this amazing connection with the higher power today. Uh, that I would never have if I weren't sober and I weren't um, a grateful member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, there's a couple parts of the big book that I just wanted to mention that really stand out to me. Um, one of the things that I really like in the doctor's opinion, where it talks about frothy emotional appeals uh, seldom suffices. The message we can, the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And I know in my life today, because of the um, connection that I've been able to develop uh, with my higher power, I've been able to recreate my life. My life is nothing like what it was when I first got sober. It's nothing like what I thought I'd even want. But it's, it's the best thing that I can ever imagine. Um, the other thing about when I got sober, it was right around the time that they were cloning Dolly the sheep. And I remember interviewing people and asking them if they could, you know, if they could clone you, would you want to spend the day with yourself? Because that was the last person... I just was so uncomfortable in my skin. I did not enjoy my company. And I know now um, I love my company today. I enjoy being with myself. I like who I've become. Um, and I have a lot of hope for the future. This is really strange times. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I grew up in the tail end of the Vietnam War. I can remember 
um, being in middle school when Nixon was impeached, and that was a really weird time. Uh, I remember 9-11, and, you know, my kids were young, and what we were doing right at that time. And, I, you know, I remember these different things, but I've never just like the rest of us experienced what we're walking through right now. But I can tell you, I have a faith in a higher power today that I know things might not result in the way that I want them to be, but I know no matter what, they're going to result in the way they're supposed to be. And that I feel very secure and safe right here, right now, that everything is okay. Um, I have two amazing beautiful grandsons that have never um, had to see me drink um, I work very hard on um, so I do the same things today that I did when I first got sober right now because we can do everything virtual I'm doing a meeting a day um, I work with my sponsor I have sponsees I work with steps I pray I'm of service and um, you know, I just hope that if anybody is new out there or you're struggling or a visitor, I hope this has been a decent um, representation for you and a message of hope. Uh, for me, the message of hope is, uh, you know, I was, I was um, a very sick, dying, drug addict, alcoholic, and I have an amazing life today. Um, I have uh, an amazing husband. Um, I love what I do for a living. And um, I have a great relationship with both my daughters and my grandsons. And I'm the best mother, daughter, sister, friend, employee, student of life. Um, you know, and that's what I get to continue to focus on today. So um, I don't know that I have anything else to share, but I'm really grateful that I got to be here and participate in my recovery. And thank you for um sharing this evening with us. So that's all I have. Thank you.